Well, the video told you to go and be the church, so have a great day. Um, no, uh, just kidding. My name is Jason. I'm the associate pastor of Community Life here uh, on the Fountain Valley campus. I'm so glad you're here this morning. And uh, I don't know if you've ever met anybody uh, like this, but, but I, I, as a pastor, run into people like this all the time. Whether I'm out at dinner or at, at Starbucks or whatever, right? The joke um, about me and my, my wife has said, Jason does not ever meet strangers. He only sees new friends. Um, because everywhere I go, I meet people, I talk to people, and I hear this a lot, this phrase, you know, um, when I ask them, like, hey, do you, you know, do you ever go to church anywhere, or, you know, uh, and they're like, you know what, like, I'm super into Jesus, but man, I'm not just really, I'm not into the church, you know, Jesus, yes, church, mm, no thanks, I hear this all the time. You know, and I, I want you to try to imagine this because it's never designed to be this way. So, like, you know, right here in the front are, uh, here is uh, Brandon and Bonnie, two of my really good friends. I've known Brandon for a long time. Imagine if I were to walk up to Brandon, you know, and just be like, you know, Brandon, I really like you, but I hate your wife. <laughs> yeah, over there is like, oh, man, this is going to get real. Somebody's like, Brandon's going to get up and beat him, which would be bad because I would lose. And... Um, but the, you, you just don't say that. You, you can't say that to somebody. And friends, the scripture calls the church the bride of Christ. They were never meant to be disconnected. They were meant to be one. No, there was never designed to be Jesus, yes, church, no. Well, if you're new with us this morning, or it's been a while since you've been here, we are in week 29 uh, of a 31-week series called The Story, based on this book right here. It's an abridged version of the scriptures, uh, and it's in chronological order. And what we're trying to get at is, what is the story of God? And how is he changing history? See, friends, the scripture, in a nutshell, is the story of God's love for his people and that love being shown through Jesus and the redemption of his people. And so what we're, we're looking at, where we find ourselves in the story this morning, is with a guy named Paul. Like I said, we're in chapter 29, so you, know, you can see where the post-it note is. We're way in there, and it's actually a little further than that. Um, we're, almost, you know, we're on the tail end, but where we find ourselves is in the life of a guy named Paul. Now, I want to kind of set him up really quick. Um, if you don't know who Paul is, he's kind of a big deal in the New Testament. Um, the New Testament is the part of the Bible that has to do with Jesus and after Jesus. And, uh, and he's kind of a big deal in the New Testament. He wrote a, a lot of it, and he becomes um, kind of a, a, a missionary, if you will. Um, and he's, he's kind of like a, one of the central figures for the second half of the book of Acts in the Bible. And I, I want to just kind of break it down for you. Maybe you've seen this, maybe you haven't. But if you're ever, if you're reading through the chapter this last week or you've ever read through the book of Acts, Acts is basically broken down into kind of three central themes. And it comes from the verse that we looked at last week in Acts 1.8 where he says, wait for the Holy Spirit. And then when you receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come on you with power and you will be my witnesses in the three places. Judea, excuse me, uh, in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. 
Now, if you've ever noticed this, the book of Acts is broken down into Judea, so, excuse me, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And it kind of looks like this, if we could throw it up here on the screen. If you're looking at the book of Acts, chapter 1 through 7 um, is Jerusalem. Um, chapters 1 through 7, I think we have a slide for that, but I'm not sure. No, nope, we don't. Cool. Um, so, uh, <laughs> my bad. And uh, so, chapters 1 through 7 is about talking about the church going to the, the closest proximity to them, which was the city of Jerusalem. And then chapters 8 through 12 is about the church taking the next step out. Like we just sang about, like the choir sang so beautifully about, right? Taking that next step out and going to Judea and Samaria. And then the last part of the book of Acts, chapters 13 through 28, is about the church kind of going to the furthest parts of the known world. Now Saul, um, who, who's uh, the guy who becomes Paul, he's, he's a key figure in these three um, sort of progressions. And he is the sort of guy that's not like people we hear today. See, uh, Paul, or Saul, excuse me, was a, uh, was a Jesus, no, church, no guy. In fact, he made it his mission in the early part, and we spoke about this a little bit last week, to destroy Christianity. He's really a, a very unlikely person for God to call, and yet God comes to him. And this is what we've seen time and time and time again, is no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you are never too far to change the world for God. You are never too far from God to become more than you ever thought you could through him. And if you haven't gotten this yet from the story, you really need to get this. No matter who you are, God says, I have a role for you. I have a place for you. And, and this guy, Saul, who's at the very first killing of a Christian in, in known history, he, he organizes it, he orchestrates it, he oversees it, um, he watches a man be uh, stoned to death. And not stoned in the good way. Um, sorry, no, no. Um, <laughs> took you guys a little while. Come on. Um, and uh, some more coffee, okay? Let's get some more coffee going. Um, and and it, he, basically, if you don't know how this works, is you start by throwing little rocks. So it hurts. But it doesn't hurt you bad. And then you start throwing bigger ones and then bigger ones and then bigger ones until you crush someone. Saul stood by and watched someone. Can you imagine someone you know? And you just stood there and people start with small rocks and bigger ones and bigger ones and bigger ones until someone you know is crushed to death. This is his life. Jesus, no. Church, no. Not just Jesus, no, but church, I will, I will kill you. And this guy, God says, oh, I have got a place for you on my team. And you're going to do great things. And he meets him. He meets Jesus. His life is radically changed. And all of a sudden, we see just a miraculous thing that God does through this man named Saul uh, of Tarsus, who is renamed Paul. Now, what we see is this, Saul, essentially, he, he's, on a, he's on a road. His big, bright light comes. He gets blinded. God speaks to him. Um, 
And then uh, a, a little bit after that, we, see, we read about him in Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 17 and 18. We read, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales f- fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and signed up to be baptized at the beach on, March, on May 21st. No, no, that wasn't it? Okay, okay. Uh, he got up and was baptized. Immediately gets up and is baptized, right? And this is the craziest part, right? This guy goes from the guy who watches this person get crushed to death to meeting the Lord on the road to the Christians who are like, I am terrified of this guy, but I'm going to go to him because God told me to, to... Um, receiving Christ to having these things like scales fall off his eyes, getting up, going out in front of everyone, being baptized in Jesus' name. And, and, being, uh, and when you were baptized, it meant you were in the community. So he was publicly declaring, I'm now a part of the community that just a few days ago I was killing. And then the craziest thing happens in Acts 13. Uh, it's on page 408 of the story. We see this. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Pastor Matt Lewis, uh, right after the, the choir song, said, We are a sent people. Right from the very, very beginning, you have the two most dominant leaders in the church uh, in, at, at that time, being sent out. They send their A team. They don't send like the, the B team or the C team. They don't send the interns. They don't send the associates. They send the big deal. And they go out and they travel. And they travel a long ways. Now, if you got to read chapter 29 of the story this week, you were like, dude, how far did these guys go? And I know all of you said it just like that, too. You were like, dude. Okay. Um, however, um, Moody, uh, the, the, according to the Moody Atlas of Bible Lands and uh, Barry Beitzel, they traveled roughly 13,400 air miles. That's just air miles. That does not count going up and down mountains, going around lakes going around rivers. All, I mean, all these amazing things, right? And you think, look, man, the, the guy who's killing Christians is now a Christian. The guy who's, who became a Christian is now leading the charge. You know, we're sending people out. People are coming to know the Lord and everything is going great. It's just smooth sailing. And then we read a little bit about Saul's life towards the end of a book, and was, this was in chapter, uh, chapter 28 of the story last week. We, we read a little bit of Saul's life in, uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians. I want to throw this passage up. It's total smooth sailing. Are they servants of Christ? Am I out of my mind to talk like this? I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Um, I spent a, a, a night and a day in the open sea. 
And it goes on and on and on. And this is my favorite part. It's, 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 a, little, it's a few verses after this. And it even includes, and I was even once bitten by a snake. Um, you're like, I was shipwrecked. I have been beaten. And a snake bit me. I mean, to top it off. Right? This guy's life is anything but smooth sailing. We find later that he's at one point beaten and left for dead. Like they beat him so badly that they, they come to him, they check him. They're like, this dude's dead. He's, he's done. So they drag his body out into the, to the city gate, right outside the city. And they're like, we're just going to leave you here to, to die and be eaten by the birds. And so he's there. He's left for dead. He's beaten within an inch of his life. Somehow he doesn't die. And do you know what he does then? He gets back up. And goes back into the city and starts to teach about Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you that if I was beaten within an inch of my life and left for dead, I can tell you exactly how the story would end. And then he died. Or, and then he ran away screaming. But this is not what Paul does. You know, later we find out in Acts that he's beaten, he's thrown into a dungeon. Him and Barnabas and some of the other people, they're like beaten so badly. They're chained, they're in stocks. And, you know, you can almost see it. They're in the dungeon and Paul like looks over at Barnabas and he's like, dude, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And Barnabas is like, yeah. And Saul's like, night of worship, let's do it. And so they start singing songs in the prison. I mean, this is crazy. No one's life is like this. It, but yet, it is. His story is a crazy story. He started 10 churches. He wrote 13 letters to the churches um, and we have in the New Testament. He agonizes in love and prayer over these churches. He visits them as often as possible. And on his deathbed, when he is blind, he asks for nothing other than to see his good friend, John Mark, who was with Jesus, and for some of the scrolls of the scriptures, so that even when, though he's blind and they would have to be read to him, he could hear them read to him one last time. His story is one of perseverance. I think the scripture has a better word for it. The word is faithfulness. And here's, here's the $64,000 question. Here's the $64 billion question. What on earth would make anyone endure that? What could possibly make anyone do that. What turns this persecutor, this murderer, to a faithful ends of the earth sent person? Well, friends, I, I have an idea, um, and, and it comes really in the form of something we've sang about, something we've heard about. And it's our big idea this morning. It's the idea that's kind of framing and shaping everything we're talking about. And it's simply this. So if you're taking notes and following along, grab your bulletins and, and your notes page. It's simply this. 
He was captivated. He was, he was enamored. He was captured. He was enraptured by this truth. The local church, meaning small communities of God's people doing life and faith together, are God's plan to change the world. He believed in this statement so much that he would be beaten within an inch of his life, thrown into a disease-ridden dungeon with rats and say, night of worship, perfect. This is the vision he had. He believed with every fiber of his being that somehow, some way, God said, you, and 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 somehow even me, we are the plan to bring the love of God to the world. I believe that it is this vision that captured the hearts of those first century Christians. I believe it's the true vision that God has for his people. I believe that that when we can capture this vision, when we can deep in our bones embrace the reality that people are dying and going to hell and there is no other plan other than you and me, when we can realize that it is not about telling people what we're against, it is about telling people, giving people a vision of what we're for, you and I would be beaten within an inch of our life and say, Night of worship. Let's sing. Let's sing to our great God. This is the church. Now, I, I don't know how this happens other than how it happened in Saul's life. What did he do? He was walking along the road. And he met Jesus. He didn't he didn't, hear, he didn't just hear about him. He didn't just uh, read some stuff about him. He didn't just, you know, say, I believe in him. He met him. He met Jesus on the road, and it changed him. And so what is the vision? What does it look like with hands and feet? What is the vision that is that you and I call the word church? What does it look like with hands and feet, with skin and bones, you know, the meat and potatoes? Well, we sort of teased this idea last week in the sermon, and we come to it today. And it's the very early part of the book of Acts. And so if you want to open with me to Acts chapter 2, um, we will see this vision. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verses uh we're going to start with verses uh, 42. It's on page 392 in the story. It's actually in chapter 28. Um, and the reason we're looking at this part in chapter 28 is because you can't get chapter 29. You can't understand why Saul, why Paul would do all these things unless you understand what he was doing them for. What is it that drove him to do these things? And so... <clears throat> This, this passage is such a famous passage. It's such a famous descriptor. It's one of a few descriptors of what the early church was like found in the book of Acts. Um, and it is, to be honest, one of my most favorite passages in all of the scriptures. And so if you would read with me, if you want, you can read along the screen, beginning in Acts 2, 42. 
He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, meaning they meaning the followers of Jesus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, meaning being with one another, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together together, together with glad and sincere hearts, all praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number though, daily those who were being saved. This is the picture. They devoted themselves to something very, very tangible. The teachings of Jesus as taught through the apostles. They've devoted themselves to the teachings of Jesus. They also devoted themselves to one another. Everyone who had a need, it was met. Even if it meant someone else had to go without or to sacrifice something. People were joining them daily. They were discovering this explosive vision of how love and unity and God had come and how everyone could be a part of it. Now, one of the reasons I love being a part of Beach Point is I've, in the past year, I've seen a few, um, a few of these, these moments, these glimpses, right? You know, I think about the Teal Flacco's fundraiser. You know, I think about a, a life group in our church that essentially sustained a family for about two years when they couldn't on their own. I think about last weekend where we did the What a Lot of Pizza fundraiser um, for uh, someone who never attended here, um, but for someone who knows, someone who does attend here who knew them. And how you guys raised over four times what they were expecting. I see these moments and I go, yes. Mm, I would give everything to make the world that Jesus-fied. To make the world that rich with the love of God. And, you know, I, I love seeing this stuff. It, it brings joy to my heart. And I, and I think when we hear about these things, when we see these things happen, you know, like the one time a month where the news says something happy and positive, um, and you're just like, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. That's it. I think we all resonate with those moments deep in ourselves. And my hope, and I believe that it's your hope, too, is that these moments would be the way we do life. These wouldn't be incidents. They would be practices. These wouldn't be moments. They would be habits. And I believe, by the way, as a leader, um, I, I believe that at every turn, every sort of failure has at its root a failure of vision. Every failure in my life has come from my inability to not see what I needed to see or to not be able to hold on to what it is that I've been shown. 
right? Proverbs even, even says that when we lack the ability to hear God's direction, we just make up our own way and it always goes bad. I mean, can anyone else resonate with that, right? Like, ah, I'm just going to do it my own way. Yeah, beep, tank, every time. See, I believe that this same thing happens when the church, us, when we lose the vision of what could be. That we go our own ways, we make up our own ideas, and it goes bad. And somewhere along the way, I think we've replaced the vision that we just read about. Or maybe a better way to say it is we've integrated some other word pictures inside the church, inside the vision that, that can be quite harmful. We've trained ourselves, I think, in some ways to see the church differently than we were supposed to. And I think there's many harmful ideas and, and, and visions, but I, I think that there's three that are particularly rampant in our time that I want to talk about. And so what I want to do for the, the rest of our time together is I want to give you three parallels. I want to give you, first, the way that the church is not, and then second, the way that it is. And this is the next thing. I'll give you the first one right away. Um, you know, the, the first false, false uh, vision, the first harmful way I think we can see church is, and this is the next one, uh, it, the church is not our theater, right? The, uh, this is, I think, a, a, a rampant idea about church, right? Why do we go to the movies? Why do we go to the theater? You know, we go to be entertained, Right? We love, we get a good story. You know, we get emotional. Maybe we get scared. We're on the edge of our seats. There's this, there's this thing that grips us in it. You know, and then we go. And the second we walk out the door, we flip from, I want to be entertained to a very different mode. And that is the mode of movie critic. Right when we walk out, movie critic, yeah, you know, like I give it a thumbs up, but, you know, second thumb kind of here, you know, uh, or some of you guys like, oh, I'll give it a four on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, you know, it was good, you know, and, and we can easily fall into the trap of doing this in church, can't we? We can easily fall into the trap of doing that in the worship service, right? Like, yeah, the music was good, but like, did you see how tight those worship leaders jeans were? You know, like, I just can't get into it, right? Like, ah, the sermon was okay, but can't Jason afford, like, a whole haircut? I mean, like, you know, it's, uh, we get into these, this critical mode, right? Like, you know what? It was good. I wasn't saying it was great. Like, I mean, it was all right today. What do we even mean when we say that? It. It's a show. It's a movie for you. It's a play for you to be entertained. You know, I, I got to be honest here. It's like real confession time. Vocational church workers are the worst at this. We will inspect and dissect every single second of a worship service. 
However bad you might be at this, I can guarantee you I have done it worse. Because it is my profession to think about it this way. But that's not why I'm supposed to be here. Notice I said it wasn't our theater. Because the truth is, this room, every Sunday, from whatever time to whatever time you're in it, it is a theater. It's just not yours. And it's not mine. And this is the thing that it is. And the next thing I want you to write down. It's a theater. Excuse me. Uh, Matt, can you put that slide up? It's God's theater of awe-filled worship. Notice what it says in Acts, right? It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs being performed by the apostles. And afterwards, they would spend time eating and drinking coffee and talking about how the signs were like a, like a two or a three on a scale of one to ten. That was in there too, right? No. They were there for one reason and one reason only. To bring God what he is due. Awe-filled worship to the God of the universe who would step down from his throne and say, not only will I give my life for you, but I've, me- I've made this amazing plan. It's called church. It's a, it's a new word. You've never heard of it. It's going to be so great because guess what? The stuff I did, I'm going to just let you do from now on. You're going to change the world just like I did. How can you do anything but come into this room and go, what were you thinking, God? But I'm amazed and just filled with wonder at how you do what you do. You know, the reality is that none of us mean to capture this kind of heart, this kind of heart for church where we analyze it and criticize it. You know, uh, Pastor Bill often has this illustration where he talks about the law of one degree. Um, You think of it this way, right? If you're off by one degree, it doesn't matter at first. But given enough time, that one degree gets further and further and further away. But it's only one degree. It's just one. And I think this is how we get into this habit. I learned to be critical of the church from the church. Christians taught me how to judge people here and what happens in here. Friends, it may be normal, but it's certainly not good. And I want... Jesus to crucify it in me. Because I want to come in here and just give him praise and give him worship. See, remember that you, the church, you and I are God's plan to change the world. But I got to be honest with you, none of us are going to do that if we don't devote ourselves to the right thing. And that is to the teaching of Jesus and to the fellowship of one another. Meaning unity, not uniformity. We can all look different. Every one of us is different. But there's something bigger that binds us. In this case, someone. That, I think, can be a harmful vision that that first church didn't have. 
and that Paul definitely didn't give his life for. The second one, though, is the church is not a store. Church is not a store. <clears throat> right? Why do we go to a store? You know, to get what we need, right? We, to, to peruse the items. I mean, I don't know about you, right? But when I go to the store, I find out there's so many other things I needed that I didn't even know I needed until I saw them on the, on the shelf. Ooh, yeah, okay. Um, you know, and then there's so many things that when I go shopping with my 10-year-old and my 8-year-old that all of a sudden they cannot live without unless we get them. You know, oh my goodness, I want this toy that I'm going to open up and throw the trash in the car and not take in the house. Um, and then I'm going to play with for four, four and a half seconds and then never play with again. I, but I need it. <sighs> you know, it's, you know, or, or, you know we, we go to Costco on the weekends, of course. It's free food all everywhere you go. Yeah, ooh, I'll take some cheese and crackers. Uh, oh, hot dog with chicken? Yes, okay. Mmm, cheese? Yeah, anything. I mean, all of this. Vitamin water? What? Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with this, right? This is where you go to a store. You go to a store to shop for something. You go to a store to pick up things, right? And if one store doesn't have it, you go to another one. And that's totally fine. That's really good. This is exactly what a store is for. However, it's not the vision we see in the beginning of this thing called church. Notice what it says in Acts 44 and 45. It says all the believers were together. They had everything in common. And by the way, I just want to be really clear. I th- for a long time, I think I misread this. Like they were, I, I thought I had to be like everybody. Because everybody always made fun of me, right? Because I, you know, for those of you who knew me back then, right? Um, and, you know, and, and I love that you guys still refer to this. It's literally one of my favorite things about you guys. I remember the pink hair and the black fingernails, you know, and the blue hair and the orange hair and the, you know, the spotted hair and the mohawk and the mullet. And, you know, I had it all. Um, I, I thought at first I had to change everything about who I was on the outside so that I could fit in. That's what it, this meant. But really what it meant is they had everything that mattered in common. They had Jesus and his way in common. That we might be different, but we're one, right? Okay, so keep going. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This, they, they didn't go to a store. They were the distributor, right? And, and I, I think basically the biggest thing that I can think of when it comes to this is while it's totally good and right and appropriate to be a consumer, in a store, to consume goods, to shop for goods. I think these people, these, these, these early Christians, the, the, the vision that captivated Saul was a group of anything but consumers, of sacrificial, generous givers. And I, I, sometimes I'll meet someone here who's here at Beach Point for the first time, you know, and I'll say, oh, hey, what are you doing here this weekend? How, or how'd you find your way to Beach Point? And they'll say, and you could probably guess what I'm going to say. They'll say, you know what? We're just kind of looking for a new church, kind of church shopping. And I, I want to be super clear here. I, I totally understand what people mean when they say that. They don't mean like, uh, I'm going to be going around with the white glove, dusting, check boxes, you know, like. <clears throat> and, and every time I hear that, in my heart, I just, I just hope there's nothing wrong with wanting a good kids ministry for your kids. There's nothing wrong with wanting a good youth ministry for your kids. There's nothing wrong with wanting sound biblical teaching. But if you're just looking to consume and you're not looking to become, 
then I think you're missing the mark. We're missing the mark of what God wants. Right? We don't go, you know, to, uh, we don't go to Target to become Target. We don't go to Walmart to become Walmart. But we go to Christ to become like him. And it isn't about goods and services. It isn't about information. It's about transformation. And that is what captivated Paul. The the church is not a store. Instead, what it is, it's God's unfailing community. It's God's unfailing community. We say this this way all the time here at Beach Point. We are a people, you know, our mission here at Beach Point is to develop you into an authentic follower of Jesus Christ who loves God and who loves one another and who loves the world. This is that one another part. Jesus says, the world will know who your master is by the way you love his wife. Meaning, the world will know you are Jesus' followers by the way you love his bride. Meaning the people here and every Christian. That's the action step, right? They devoted themselves to this unfailing community, no matter what it cost them, no matter where it led them. And the last one that I want to give you, the last harmful thing I want to give you, is that the church is not a restaurant. The church is not a restaurant. Right, what do we do when we go to a restaurant? We're hoping for good service, you know, good food, we expect to be waited on, we expect to be served. I mean, can you imagine if you walked into Stonefire today and they're like, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'll take a stimulus package, a barbecue tri-tip, chicken, chopped chicken salad. You know, and they're like, yeah, yeah, here you go. Um, we're going to need you to go clean those four tables. Can you bust those tables for us? And then we'll bring you your food. You know, you don't go into a restaurant and saying like, hey, hey, catch, here's a towel. Uh, go get some sanitizer in the back, scrub those floors down. I'm no business entrepreneur, I'm no restaurant entrepreneur, but I'm pretty sure that's a failing restaurant business strategy. If you walked in and someone threw you a towel and said, get to work, earn your food, you know, I don't think that would go over very well because in a restaurant you're expected, you expect to be served. But friends, Jesus' own words teach us, for even Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as the payment for many. The church is not a restaurant. And I'm so hoping you get how intentional this last line is. Every word of this last part, we're. We're God's plan for a broken world. I don't know where you're at in your walk with Christ. If you're here today and you're still skeptical, wondering who's Jesus, what's God about, what's church life about, my hope is, is that today what you heard is we're, you know, the church is always designed to be a family. But just like any family, you know, we're broken and messy. But this is who we want to be. But if you're here and, and, and you're a part of Beach Point, then I want to simply challenge you in this time of prayer to ask yourself a question. Actually, to ask God a question. 
And it comes in the form of this response. And this is the last thing I want you to write down. Would you choose today to take the next step to live as the church? Whatever that means. Maybe it means signing up for the welcome lunch. Saying, hey, what's this place all about? Maybe it means taking the class on next steps and saying, I'm going to be a part of the team. Maybe it means getting baptized. Maybe it means joining a life group. Maybe it means starting to serve. Maybe it means uh, being more intentional with your 8 to 15. Maybe it means you've been intentional with your 8 to 15 and, and it's now time to start sharing your story of how God transformed your life, but you're scared to death to do it. But maybe you just do it. I don't know what it means. But as we close in prayer now, as, as, as I challenge you to go and reflect, I want to simply ask you to do this. Would you say, God, what does it mean for me to do that? What does it mean for me to do that? Go now to prayer and ask the God of the universe who says, I have a role for you on my team and that this team is the reason that so many people went so many miles and gave so much. Go now to prayer.